Today's episode of the Podular Modcast is brought to you by Odulus. Odulus is a modular synthesizer visual programming platform for iOS, Mac, Windows, and Linux. With Odulus, you can create synthesizers, sequencers, and effects from scratch, or use one of the hundreds of built-in modules, or some of the thousands of user-created patches available for download at the Odulus forum. Plug your computer or iOS device straight into an Expert Sleeper's ES8 or similar DC-coupled audio interface, and Odulus can be a sound source, an envelope, a filter, an LFO, a sequencer, or an effect all at once. The song you're hearing right now was made with a combination of Odulus and Eurorack modules. A matrix sequencer is driving an additive VCO in Odulus that is based on the Chebyshev polynomials. Also, a custom-made Odulus drum sequencer triggers a mutable instrument's plats sequencing pitch and model choice simultaneously. Finally, a lead synth created by a SoftSync Roland 512 VCO, Erica Synth's Fusion Tube Mixer, and Roland 505 VCF is also sequenced and enveloped by the same matrix sequencer. As you can hear, Odulus can help you get more out of your modular synth, but you can also use it alone. Make a patch on your iPad on your commute from work and load it up instantly on your computer when you get home through automatic iCloud syncing. Right now, Odulus is running a limited time sale, 50% off in the Mac and iOS stores. Also, for each episode of the Podular Modcast, we'll be giving away three free copies of Odulus. So go check out my Instagram page, Podular Modcast, and uh, see, see if you can be the first one to grab one of those free download codes. Um, I'll be posting them at random points during the week. Uh, so good luck. Modulus, build sound from first principles and take your modular to the next level. Welcome, PodMod Bots, to another episode of Podular Modcast. Today's guest is Nathan Moody. Um, He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. Nathan is a, is an artist, for one, but he's also a mix engineer and a mastering engineer. And uh, we get into the mixing and mastering minutiae quite a bit. It's Mixing has been something that I've been really interested in uh, over the last five or six years of making my own music. I've, I've always mixed my own stuff. I don't know how well it's done. <laughs> I, I had a few people teach me a few things, and then I kind of just ran with it from there. Um, but it's it's probably my favorite aspect of the creative process musically even even over writing and performing i i don't know i just i love i love getting in the box and and mixing some stuff so i had the opportunity to really pick his brain and we we talked about it a lot and uh he was nice enough to give us some pointers on how to record ourselves as modular artists um so yeah if, if you're if you're looking to get into recording or if you are already recording yourself but kind of you know needing some guidance this episode is for you we also talk about the music that he's made and the sample pack that he's made and uh the tour that he just got done with we we cover all sorts of stuff but uh why would i tell you that now when we can just get into the conversation but of course we're not going to jump right into it we have some business to attend to and i want to talk to you about patreon first of all thank you to all the patreon subscribers um but second of all i've, I've had some people ask what i think i have been unclear uh, as to what Patreon is, um, it's it's basically a it's a it's a website where you can you can pledge uh, anywhere from one to X amount of dollars uh, to creatives that you enjoy to help keep their their operation sustainable. So if you would like to do that, you can go to patreon.com forward slash modcast to help the show out. And again, thank you to everybody who's already doing that. This is something that it's it's kind of it's it feels weird to mention, but I've had enough people a- ask me about it to where I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, I've had people who are kind of uncomfortable with the the monthly thing. They don't want to they don't want a monthly charge on their 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 credit card but they still want to to help in some way financially so if you would like to do that there's a a paypal for the show at uh, podmodcast at gmail.com again i feel super weird saying that but enough people have asked me to where i feel like i i can mention it on the show um so thank you for your patience sitting through this rambling um what do you say we get into some demos i uh 
Over the Thanksgiving weekend, I spent a solid day just making a bunch of demos of a bunch of different stuff. Um, and even as I'm recording this voiceover, I don't know what you're going to get. But let's get into one of those really quick. So more and more recently, um, as I'm getting more into the modular thing, I'm having people tell me, well, it looks interesting and it sounds interesting, but uh, it's not really music. And, and to that I say, well, that's in the, the ear of the beholder, but I kind of see what they're saying. It doesn't have that kind of, you know, that, that beat, something that you can follow, a hook and a chorus. And uh, I've had a lot of people ask me, like, can you even make that stuff on a modular? And you know what? I felt like I was up to the challenge. So in today's demonstration, I'm going to be using the Bang from Livestock Electronics and the Angle Grinder from Schlappy Engineering. And I'm going to show these people that, yes, you can make something that is accessible to just about everybody who likes any type of music. So let's bring the Bang in first. I've got, um, I've got the Tempe and the Shuffling Clock Multiplier kind of playing with each other in strange ways. And then I go in in the maths, and then I've got the maths channels going into the odd and even CV inputs for the bang. And then that, of course, is running into the uh, 4MS dual looping delay. So this is going to kind of act as our kind of our hook of the, of the track. And then I'll bring the, the angle grinder from Schlappy Engineering. Um, it's kind of gonna hold down the, the foundation of the song, um, and it'll really kind of give you that that thing you could really swing your hips to. So I'm running the maths, uh, some channels from the maths and the woggle bug into the the sliders on the um, the wave shaping sliders on the, the angle grinder, and then now I'm going to fade in some of the noise output from the Telharmonic into the angle grinder grind section. And of course, what is a pop song without its drum beat? Um, so I've got the Wogglebug stepped random output controlling the uh, the timing of the vocal beats, and then I've got that running into um, a cutting room floor guitar pedal from Recovery Effects and the Afterneath from Earthquaker Devices. So now when I get that in, you're going to really want to get, get out there on the floor. All right, PodMod bots, I challenge you guys to come up with your best pop song because I think I've shown today that it is possible to make um, accessible music that everyone can enjoy on a modular system. Um, and let's dispel that myth. Go to livestockelectronics.com to learn more about the Bang Oscillator and schlappyengineering.com to learn more about the Angle Grinder. So on Darwin Show, art, music, and technology, you, you got a really good um, uh, backstory on what you were, uh, you, you know, just your back. God, I can't talk today. Um, <laughs> no worries. That's what editing is for. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been pretty good about not, not tripping up and having to edit stuff, but this, this is, is going to be different. No but, worries, um, man. Anyways, I want people to listen to your, your episode with him, and I, I'm really excited to talk to you after that because you were kind of hinting at some th stuff that you couldn't talk about in the episode that we can talk about now um and then one of that one of those things is your your album that you released this year uh the wrong side of mystery so i i kind of want to or the right side of mystery <laughs> i was so worried about getting it wrong <laughs> i'm sitting here like don't get the name wrong don't get the name wrong and then I said it wrong, but that's actually kind of funny. The right side of mystery. Um, can you, I want to, I want to kind of hear a little bit about like the inception of that and then how it came to be, because it's such an interesting idea and it's an awesome album. Oh, thank you very much. Um, it was, 
it for a lot of my listeners, it seemed like new territory, but for me, it really felt like going back to what I knew and where I started in a lot of ways. I've been a sound designer for 10 years, and mm-hmm. before I got into modular, like so many other people, um, I was a guitarist. And so right. I really loved, you know, vibrating air molecules, making sound, and... Um, my first several albums uh, really fix- featured a mix of found sound and field recording and guitar and electronics. And then I really deeply, have always deeply loved um, synthesis and really got deep into that when I did the series of albums called Etudes. And then mm. um, then I, I, I did a show here in San Francisco and it was me playing two guitars. One was prepared laying flat and the other one I was wearing and and performing and I started to realize man I'm I've got these these tunings that are almost uh, almost all the same like Sonic Youth like I I had my guitar tuned like D D D A A D so super open tuning and after that show I'm like why do I even have six strings like I don't need even six strings to do what I want to do and then I started realizing well I could take strings off but I really want to I want to lay into my guitar with, you know, drumsticks and stuff like that. And I don't want to do that on my nice guitars. So I'm like, well, I could just (laughs) build my own single string guitar and just whack the heck out of it. And I'm not going to care what it looks like. And so I did that and realized, holy cow, that was actually pretty easy. I have no electronics background. I can barely solder without burning my house down. And... (laughs) Um, and I have zero woodworking skills, but I pulled mm-hmm. it off and I'm like, okay, well that was cool. Let me build a bass one with a super thick, you know, low B string. And that just shook the walls and that was really exciting. So then I'm like, well, let me build a four string dulcimer. Now let me build a kalimba. Now let me build some drums out of cardboarding, cardboard and packing tape. And it just kind of cascaded from there into this whole suite of instruments and there was this kind of primitive, brutalist side of it um, in terms of how they were designed and how they looked, but they sounded actually pretty sweet and pretty kind of ethereal. And so I really like that dichotomy, and that's kind of the the wellspring from which that whole album really came. Okay, so yeah, I was wondering if you kind of had the idea for the album beforehand, or it sounded like it kind of just naturally progressed out of just kind of curiosity and creating... You know, it was kind of like a cascading thing. It did. Um, uh, you know, as a as a crea- as a lifelong creative, I always benefit from uh, from having frameworks to focus my creative energies. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like a lot of people. I think I'm one of those people where you give me a blank canvas and I just freak out, and <laughs> I don't know how to start and and all that stuff. So once I started building a couple of these things, I actually started to have. Not an idea for an album, but I started to realize, oh, I, I actually have this kind of mental framework now imagining like, well, what if these were instruments made after American society has collapsed? And there are these tribes around making instruments out of scrap and things that they've found because all of my instruments are also made of um, reclaimed materials. And how would they make music and what would they make music for? And so I started to get this kind of idea of, oh, maybe they're tribes and they have rituals like any culture does for when people get married or when there's a birth or a death coming of age things like that and Mm -hmm. um that kind of didn't necessarily guide the songs on the album but it definitely guided like oh here's how i'm going to perform with these here's how i'm going to continue building these and um it also gave me license to kind of blend you know in this kind of hypothetical world, blend you know uh, different uh, different styles of music like Appalachian music, plus Native American drumming, plus other elements of American culture in terms of music, and kind of creating mm-hmm. this kind of world out of time of sound. And so that's kind of how that all developed. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun to listen to, and especially knowing kind of the the backstory um, of you creating the instruments for it. But I will say that you could probably pull the wool over people's eyes had you not told them. You could have made them think it was some sort of electronic kind of sample based thing. Um, I don't know. Okay, it's I, I really interesting. Done. Fine, fine. I lied. It's all rings. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, you've been yeah, hanging out well, with our Benny was... too much. <laughs> <laughs> Austin is Austin is a very dear friend. Um, oh yeah, I wish uh, we were going to try and hang out with him too, but he was he's a little too far away. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's got to get he, down there for longer. Totally. Um, no, it, it, and that's true. I I think that you know it's it's a weird piece because it is an all electro acoustic album with no synths but composed, made, and edited with the aesthetic of electronic music at play. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so there is looping, and there are, you know, tons of effects. And I used things like the Coma Electronic Field Kit to, you know, uh, take a DC motor, put a little remote control wheel on it, and then use that to strum the strings. So it sounds like a synth oh, drone, nice. you know? Uh-huh. Um, so there's a lot of of my experience from the world of Eurorack, the world of synthesis that was applied to that album. It's just that, you know, all the source sounds are all um, entirely acoustic. So I like that. I like I like taking that approach kind of just the the like the forgive me for being a little bit uh I don't know, pretentious, but like almost like the theoretical or philosophical framework of a patch and taking it to kind of this more visceral and an actual like acoustic realm i don't know that's that's really interesting absolutely and you know i think like a lot of us who who do electronic music and who like to make music without a daw that much um i couldn't have made that album without the daw and i i was seeing track you know track counts of like 24 36 and i've (laughs) i've never done a release with that many tracks so it was like creating a patch in ultra 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 slow motion uh-huh. Um, you know, and you can sit there and hate on the DAW, but if you just kind of put the right mindset to it and think, well, this whole thing is a huge patch and I'm just going to put a, one layer upon another layer upon another layer and see how it evolves. It's really not that dissimilar in terms of mindset. That's pretty fascinating. Now, speaking of like, uh, you know, DAWs and, and, and samples and, and all that, did I know you just released a sample pack kind of around the same time as the album. Now, are those samples that you, you made for that sample pack, are they from these instruments as well? Entirely, yeah. Uh, the okay, idea that's w- what I thought. Yeah, the idea originally was, oh, you know, I've got this now massive sample library that I used for the album. Let me slice it and dice it and then turn it into something that both musicians and um, cinematic sound designers can, can use. And Nice. You know, as 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 you go through a project like that, of course, it's like, oh, you you're like, oh, this is going to be easy. I've got all the samples already made. But then when you start to (laughs) when you start to sit down and say, well, you know, how would this act as a layer in in some other larger piece of sound design or composition? You realize, oh, you know, this is this is kind of specific to the song that I that I made it for. So um, what wound up happening is that then I did many, many, many additional recording sessions just for that sample library. And so there's only maybe 15% overlap between sounds from the album and uh, sounds in the sample library. Um, I also decided to um, reach out to Make Noise and do a sample pack specifically for the Morphogene sampler uh, module. And that was a bit more of a mix because... Um, most modular users are musicians as opposed to sound designers. So I did include a lot more kind of melodic um, and less textural stuff in, in, um, in that kind of free lower resolution version as opposed to the, um, you know, 2496 full version. Mm-hmm. Okay. So have, have you, or do you have any interest of maybe performing with those samples yourself? Like, I mean, how are, how are you performing with this, the, like this album and and with that are you are you doing a partial modular thing and and partially with with the uh, the actual instruments or i am 
<clears throat> um, I am. I actually just got back from a three-date little nano tour of Germany where I was performing with an octatrack and two rows of Eurorack. And okay. the morphogene was a really, really critical part of that whole performance. Um, so what I wound up doing is I had some samples on the octatrack, which was kind of the main brain of the whole performance. And then um, I actually wound up pairing the morphogene with two pressure points without brains. So okay. what I wound up doing is the pressure points were just basically preset recalls for the morphogene. Okay. So, th okay. so that way each touchpad would control which sample in the reel was being played, the pitch at which it was being played back, and then the last one was a kind of a more variable starting point for um, for gene or grain size. So okay. that way I could just hit each one of those and know that um, I can just whack those things on the morphogene and it would call up a granular patch uh, from memory that was instantly in pitch with the rest of the set. Nice. I just got a pressure point. So you're giving, you've already given me a bunch of ideas like, Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. But now you also make me want to get a morphogene. So I don't there... know if I should thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, there, the morphogene's really fun. I mean, it's, you know, I've, I, like anyone else in music, you know, who doesn't like those granular, lovely textures, but yeah, the granular implementation on the nebulae versus the morphogene versus the octatrack versus my other favorite, which is sampler for iOS. Um, the textures are all really pretty different. Um, yeah. and then having, having all of those textures available under CV control was just a real, a real eye opener. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, I, I am, I'm kind of outside of the world of sampling and I'm very afraid to get into it. I was just, uh, talking to, uh, Alfred Darlington, AKA Daedalus about that. And like, he's mm. like primarily sample based. He does really cool stuff. It's just like, that's just a, a world that I'm afraid to enter because of the, just the consumption of time of making the samples. So I can't even imagine actually like, I would be tracking down samples. You actually made your own samples. That's just <laughs> like on a whole other level. And, and you know, the morphogene and, and tools like that are so deep. Like I'm not even getting to the point yet in my use of it where I'm just simply resampling stuff coming out of the modular, which is the other big, you know, uh, kind of use usage paradigm for the morphogene mm -hmm. and the ER301 and other, other things of, of their ilk. Um, and the Bitbox, which I've, I've had and loved as well. But yeah, I mean, having been a sound designer for, for a decade, you know, my, my sample library is pretty vast. And so, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a pretty easy way to kind of ingest raw sample material and integrate that with a more synth, um, or synthesis oriented performance. Right. Okay. So I'll, I kind of want to talk about a little bit about like your engineering uh, mixing and mastering background. And if, I mean, you don't have to pull the curtain back too much, but I am so curious about this, uh, the dark art of mastering. So, um, you know, that's, that's its reputation. Um, having done it for a while now, you know, it's, it's hard to say, uh, it was hard for me to say because, you know, when you do it every day, the, the mystique kind of starts to fall away. Right. Um, but I, here's what makes me really, really love mastering other people's work. It's because, yes, I get paid to listen to other people's music. That's <laughs> indescribably awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, I'm exposed to a much broader range of music than I would under my own circumstances. But I, I think there is this paradigm and this expectation for electronic musicians that we're all lone wolves mm -hmm. and that everyone is just releasing and recording and mixing and arranging and mastering their own stuff. And the reality is that there are very, very, very few people in this world who are good at all of those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh -huh. my, myself included. Yeah. I mean, um, we talked about the right side of mystery 
album earlier, that was a gigantic struggle for me to mix because oh. I never mixed material quite like that before. Um, so with mastering, you know, what, what I like about it is that I've been at the music thing for 20 years and um, I've had the very good fortune of having learned from um, a lot of audio professionals over that time. And I think what, what I like about it is that um, coming from a career as a creative director, I, I know all the specs for loudness. I know how to properly balance tracks on a compilation. I know... Um, what the trade-offs are in terms of using limiters and compressors and EQs. But what I really think mastering is about is just rendering with greater clarity the artist's intent. And yeah. all it takes to get there is just asking the right questions. Okay. And, um, you know, especially in the world of experimental music, like there's tons of hiss on here. Is that intentional? If so you know, that's something I should not try to quote unquote fix. Right. Um, you know, if I hear a lot of clicks that are not correlated to tempo, maybe those are zero crossings that the artist didn't hear and didn't intend, or maybe that is part of the aesthetic. And I think that, you know, doing a lot of this stuff in the experimental music world teaches you not to have these preconceived notions about what sounds right or what sounds wrong. It just depends on what is going to better render the artist's um, intent to the ears of the listener. That's interesting. So, so you'll have actual dialogues with, with the artists that will, um, you know, largely shape the outcome of, of what you produce as far as a mastering goes. Absolutely. Um, okay. One of the things, one of the things I like to ask is, you know, what's, you know, it's like, um, I'm, I'm part of your team. So if you hire me to master your project, don't treat me as a listener. Don't be coy with your intent. Don't try to kind of withhold information from me just to, just to see what I'm going to do with it. It's like, tell me how it should feel. Tell mm -hmm. me how you want the listener to feel. You know, uh, what are the themes and subtexts at play, if any? Because I think that is more important than just get it loud, get it sharp, and get it tonally balanced. Right, yeah. So I guess... I mean, f for me, but also just, you know, for, for the layman who maybe doesn't understand, like, a, a, just like a brief difference between mixing and mastering. Because cause if you were to just, like, isolate what you just said and ask me, what is he talking about? I'd be like, oh, he's talking about mixing a record, you know? Mm. So I, I, and I think, I think, like you said, you know, it's kind of like it's lost a lot of its mystery to you. But I think mas one of the mysterious things about mastering for a lot of people is, well, what is the difference between it and mixing? And I think a lot of people do just think of it as pushing volume and maybe spreading it out a little bit or something. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a really relevant question. The way I look at it is that mixing is making sure that everything in a song or piece or track or audio work of art making sure it all fits together and is balanced between elements within that piece. So that means balancing um, uh, the bass line with the percussion, with the leads, with the pads in a simple, mm -hmm. in a kind of a simple sense. And mastering is not so much about balancing elements within a track. It's about balancing tracks across an album. Okay. And making everything kind of balanced to one another. But not so not to such an extent that the emotional high and low points of the albums, you know, you know, some some parts of the album needs to be louder than other parts of the album where those emotional punches really need to happen. But like a lot of us, you know, some of us take a year or more to make an album and it's recorded on different you know, in different configurations, on different gear. You know, it, back in the day, you might record an album in a bunch of different um, studios altogether. Mm -hmm. And so mastering is a weird mix of hardcore quality assurance testing, um, making sure that, you know, phase is properly, properly aligned and that the, the bass um, frequencies are not eating up headroom and kind of technical stuff. 
um, making sure it's cuttable to vinyl or that the P's and Q's are edited for, um, for CD-ROM or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's this huge creative component in terms of, okay, so here's the final mix uh, delivered to me by either a mixing engineer or the artist, him or herself. And how do we take those final mixes and get them competitively and uh, loud? Um, thank goodness, actually, of all of all the things that I complain about about the streaming services, they've actually killed the loudness wars Good. from <laughs> from CDs because now all the streaming services loudness normalize every track that's played because they've realized that people on streaming services tip typically listen to things on shuffle instead of whole albums at a time. Right. Um, so the good news is that we're no longer trying to be louder than another release. We're just trying to be in the same ballpark. So it's comfortable. Um, that makes sense. That's so, a, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's kind of how I look at mixing versus mastering. Mixing is taking components within a track and balancing them. And mastering is taking components across an album and balancing them as well as a final kind of quality assurance and sweetening pass. Okay. And I think I, well, I guess let's just ask how important is it to have a good quality mix before trying to get a master? Like a master can't, you know, you can only, you can only paint, you know, you can only paint mud so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's digital audio. So, you know, the old computer uh, aphorism of garbage in garbage out does, come into play. Um, but you'd be surprised. You know, I've, I've had people who have mastered on, who have mixed and bounced their final mix to cassette and there's no frequency content above six kilohertz at all. It just doesn't exist. Uh huh. Um, but still, you know, in, let's say it's an ambient album still in the, in the genre of ambient, you know, having nice air on the high end really matters and can make it feel really ethereal and evocative and immersive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are tricks to kind of um, extending the frequency range in, in that kind of sense. Um, but um, I think that uh, a lot of what mixing should attempt to do is um, get get to a baseline of clarity. Um, and then um, mastering can kind of tweak the emotional content of of a piece a little bit one way or the other um mixing can of course do that to a great degree but um uh i think the other the other weird thing about mastering that is that muddies the waters frankly is there's a thing called stem mastering where it's not mixing necessarily but an artist or a mixing engineer will bounce down groups of tracks to you know between four and eight stems per song and then that's given to a mix and to a mastering engineer and then the mastering engineer is doing this kind of weird hybrid of kind of mixing and you have just a little bit more granular control because now you have these groups of tracks instead of just a stereo mix that you typically work with um and those kinds of projects are are, are kind of great because you get access to a lot more information that's a lot more isolated, but it's simpler than a full mix project. Um, but it takes more time because then you, you're, you are playing with the mix a little bit and you're playing more with the interplay of say, you know, um, deciding that, wow, this, this track actually doesn't have any side chaining between the kick drum and the bass line, but it could really use it. So you start using, some tools of mixing in mastering and it, and it gets a little bit more, more complex. But if someone is not confident with their mixing skills, that's an interesting hybrid between mixing and mastering that, um, that is certainly always an option. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, um, I hope, I hope the listeners aren't getting, and and I hope, I hope you're not getting, uh, you know, like kind of like, is he going to stop asking mastering and mixing questions? This is just (laughs) like one of my, my favorite things, to talk about, like, I, I, I know I have some friends that, you know, after a few drinks, they're like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to hear about how much you love trying to mix your own albums. So <laughs> it's just, it's nice yeah. to be able to pick the brain of somebody who really knows what they're doing. 
Um, oh, totally. And and you know, one thing that's that I'll also say is that I do master my own work, but usually under duress, um, largely because of budget. Um, I I think probably the biggest benefit of either working with a mixing engineer or a mastering engineer is just getting some freaking perspective. Yes, and, absolutely. You know, I totally agree with you there on that. And like mixing my own, uh, sorry, mastering my own stuff, I really avoid it if I po possibly can um, because the, the value is it's someone else's ears, someone else's room, someone else's high-end monitors. Uh, and just the fact that it's, an objective point of view, mm -hmm. I mean, just that alone is worth the price of admission, even if they don't do anything to the track. Yeah. Well, and you can get, you can get just so close to your stuff that like, luckily I have a few friends that I can bounce some stuff off of. Like if I, if I'm, you know, 36 to 40 something hours into a song, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know if I like this anymore. Like, does it just sound like white noise and, and just, you know, mush and, uh, it's it's always good to be able to show somebody else who kind of knows your style and a little bit about, you know, what you're trying to go for and, and give you a, a good perspective. So, yeah, it's just so nice to have, have those people around. Um, it's, yeah. All right, I've got a really weird patch for you today. I'm using the Bang from Livestock Electronics, and let's see what that sounds like right now. And I'm running some clock sources from the 4MS Shuffling Clock Multiplier into the Odd, Even, and Chunks CV input. And then I'm taking that out and into the grind section of the uh, Schlappy Engineering Angle Grinder. And then I've got some clock sources from that same Shuffling Clock Multiplier going into the CV inputs for two of the wave shaping sliders. So, let's see what that sounds like. And now I've got Tempe doing some really weird stuff that I don't understand with two oscilloscapes from Recovery Effects. So that's one of them. Bring this next one in. And just for good measure, um, let's bring a Volca beat in there. And this is not your standard Volca beat. It's very weird. Uh, let's see if we can find the groove. LivestockElectronics.com, SchlappyEngineering.com, and RecoveryEffects.com to check out these wonderful modules. Well, you know, every there's all there's all these questions out there about modular, and you know, from what module should I get? You know, like there's there's from from the most uh, you know basic question to some pretty high concept stuff and it seems like always the answer is is well what are you what are you going for what's your intent it's all about kind of your personal taste so with all of that in mind I'm going to kind of just go against what I just said and say like do you have a any advice for how how one should approach recording with a modular system because that's mm. it seems like a lot of people are into modular but maybe maybe don't record in the best way or don't know how to approach it the best way. Um, I'm glad you brought that up as a, as a mastering engineer, I, I hear this all the time um, in terms of, you know, render this, this kind of issue rendered into people's work. And I think that the number one piece of advice I'd, I'd give people is, is give your record with tons of headroom. Um, back in the day when we were all recording in 16 bit depth, um, it was really important to just like in the old tape days 
to really maximize signal-to-noise ratio. And now that we're all in, most of us are recording in a 24-bit world, that's just not as important anymore. And that's so, so, you know, I think a lot of us are, have been trained and have old habits of, you know, trying to record as close to zero decibel full scale as we can. Um, but honestly, if each track that you're laying down, whether it's a full mix, whether you're, you're multi-tracking, if your peaks or even as low as minus 12 dB full scale, you're actually okay. Um, okay. If they, if they go up to minus six, um, that's also fine. If your peaks are landing between minus three and zero, that's pretty hot. And okay. the reason why that matters is that when you mix, you need some headroom left to do things like EQ um, or compression makeup gain. Um, and then certainly when it comes to someone like me for mastering, I'm always wanting at least three to six decibels of headroom to do those same processes. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, cause you can imagine if you have something that's at, at minus three decibels full scale, it's, it's three lower than digital zero. Um, if you find that the whole track sounds kind of dull and you want to boost by five DB in a certain band, you might start clipping. Right, right. Um, you know, over by two dB, depending on on where where those peaks are landing. Um, so, first piece of advice I'd give everyone is, don't think you have to crazy maximize for headroom if you're recording in twenty four bit depth. Um, if you are recording to tape, it's a little bit different because you have to overcome tape hiss, and you know, but tape saturates and compresses in a nonlinear fashion once you're above zero. Um, you know, once you're above zero on the VU meter. Um, so that's kind of a different headspace, but. Well, that's good to know. And I'm, I'm going to date myself here, but like, just like what you're saying, when, when we were recording onto like a four track or, or any sort of, you know, recording device before DAWs and everything, you know, it was always like, okay, you get it, get your level right before it hits red, you know, to make sure it's not mm -hmm. hitting red, but get as close to red as you can, you know? And, um, and it's, I think a lot of that can carry, carry on, you know, if you get a, you get your uh, your interface. You know, it's it's. You might just try to translate that that thought right to it, and that, that's. I think that's really valuable stuff to know because, like you said, we just you if you have you have so much more room, and I think when you're turning stuff into a mixer or or a mastering engineer, you want to give them something that if you were to gonna you were to put it on a CD, it would actually be pretty dang quiet for all of those reasons you just laid out. That's right. That's yeah. right. And uh, another another trick um probably the only other kind of absolute must must consider trick is this issue called phase correlation and that is a phenomenon where if you have if you have something in the extreme left and extreme right in a stereo signal and they're completely out of phase they're 180 degrees opposite they will cancel each other out to <laughs> silence uh <-huh. laughs> and um one of the things that artists often don't do is they don't check their own work or their own mixes in mono. And, you know, there was a while there where even I was starting to feel like, oh, you know, is mono compatibility really that important? And now we're in an era uh, where people are listening to tons of music on digital home assistants, like mm -hmm. Google home and the Apple home pod. Apple home pod is, is stereo, but, um, even if these units are stereo, which is pretty rare, the the speakers are almost coincident. They're like incredibly <laughs> close to one another. Uh huh. And a lot of these things are in mono. And uh, some people, if they if they listen to really out of phase stuff on headphones, they get kind of queasy. Yeah. Um, it sounds like there's a null at each ear, and the sounds coming from the middle of your sinuses. And oh. you know, if you're if you're doing that on purpose, that's one thing. If you <laughs> If you know the effect and that's and you want to make people feel that way, go for it. That's intent. That's fine. But the issue usually is um, this crops up when you have a ton of bass frequencies in reverb and delay sends or returns. Okay. And so when you start smearing the bass wider in the frequency spectrum, uh, you will often get phase issues. And sometimes they extend up into, you know, 200 to 400 hertz range and so when you hit the mono button 
in your jaw or on your you know monitor controller or or however you're doing it. Um, all you need to do is listen and see literally do parts of your arrangement disappear from the mix. And if That's, they do, oh, you wow. have phase issues. That's fascinating. I've, I've never, I've never thought to try that. I've, I've never, I've never heard of that. That is, uh, that's really valuable to know because I, I have definitely, you know, spent a lot of time mixing and stuff. And then here, you know, I try to, I try to listen to my mixes on at least four different, uh, you know, stereo systems or whatever. Speak, you know, different headphones and different. But I've, I've never thought to just check a mono mix, and that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's it's handy because it's also one of those things where <clears throat> if you have a, a phase correlation meter, it might be reading negative and you're like, ooh, I've got problems. But if the mix is fine, you don't have to worry about it. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, it's just one of those things to check and think about. And the really simple solution is actually just high pass filter or EQ, either the sends or returns to and from your reverbs and your delays. And that can often really clean up a lot of that stuff and add more clarity to the mix. And and I say that as an ambient musician myself who loves stupid wide, who loves stereo <laughs> bass, you uh -huh. know, like who doesn't, you know, you want these things to surround people like a like a nice warm blanket, right? Um, uh-huh. But and it's just a matter of realizing that those are some of the things that can happen and just to keep an eye and an ear out for those. Man, I feel like this is a this is an episode I'm going to have to listen to a few times just to like soak all this in, like make sure it really sticks because I'm I'm really starting to to try to figure out how I want to record myself modular wise. Like I've, I've recorded myself a lot for the over the past like six or seven years, but since I've gotten into modular, I'm just you know record patches here and there, and I've done a few little things, but I I kind of want to set out on an actual album and I'm, mm. and I'm really wrestling with how I want to do that. And I'm starting to think that I personally want to like individually track every single, you know, I've got, I've got two mixers that have uh, three channel. So, and then they'll come out as one. I don't want to mm. do just two tracks with, you know, three parts on it each. So now I'm kind of running into the problem of like syncing up my, you know, my different parts on different, passes and everything because I don't I don't quite have the the technology to get everything in on it's each individual track but I just I feel like that's so worth it to get what I want to do you know like out of me totally um there is a module that of course the the uh the name of the company is evading me um but they make a um a neat module where you it's um eight in or eight out and you can do it balanced so you can basically send all of your tracks into this module and uh it'll come out in either as unbalanced signals or balanced signals on a db25 snake so you can have an eight input um uh interface and then have individual if you want individual ba balanced outs per channel oh um, wow which basically is just like it's it's almost like this raw dump of audio <laughs> data into your into your DAW, um, and it's the the company is called is NW something something. It's November Whiskey something something. As we as we talk, I'll I'll see if I can <laughs> uh, if I can find it. It's, but there are there are solutions like that where you can just basically take this stuff out at line level, balanced or unbalanced, and um, you know it's it's not for everyone because some people don't like the process of mixing not not even because it's tedious which some people find it to be but i think a lot of people kind of psych themselves out with mixed decisions and they would much rather just kind of get to done faster by just mixing live and recording live stereo takes um and you know as a musician myself i do it absolutely both ways depending on the project yeah, and as a mastering engineer, I get material both ways, and I can't material say which is better. It's it's such an independent uh, individual decision. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I, I I mess around with both both too, and and I I will say one of the draws for me to modular personally was just the ability to get everything sounding the way you wanted it before you re-recorded it. You know, like oh this, there, I can do almost what I would do in the box on the actual rack. 
and then I can commit it. But there's always, you know, you record and you get 15 minutes into something, you know, and like there's always this one thing that's, that's, that's peeking its head out and you're like, I want that to not be there. And it's like, ah, oh, it's all on one track. I can't, I can't do anything about it. <laughs> exactly. And that's, and that's actually where mastering can help. Cause I, I often will get mixes from people and they'll say, Hey, you know, I feel like my mix is pretty good, but it was a live take. And at three minutes in, there is this screaming resonance at two kilohertz that'll blow your ears off and please <laughs> help me with that. And that is the kind of thing you absolutely can deal with, with things like DSers, with multiband compressors mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, the, the module I was referring to earlier, the manufacturer is called NW2S, NW2S. Um, as in November Whiskey 2 Sierra. And um, their module is, is just simply called IO. Uh, and they make a pretty inexpensive unbalanced one if your cable runs are going to be kind of short. Um, or they have a balanced one if you uh, need longer cable lengths or are running a, an all-balanced signal path in your studio. Okay. Sweet. That's good to know. Man, we are learning a lot today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, and I hope I, hope I, uh, I, hope I didn't uh, take up too much of what you wanted to talk about today on, on mixing and mastering, but it's just, it's... I don't know. It's 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 mysterious and it's also just endlessly fascinating to me. And it's it's something that I don't know. I find I find a lot of uh, my peers. If we, we we find ourselves talking about this a lot. You know how how are you going to track and and how how are you going to get it mixed and are you going to do it yourself? And and these are all I think as important questions to a ask yourself as you know what module should I get? Um, so. It just seems, yeah, people get caught up in the gear, but I think this is just in, as important if you are going to commit this stuff to record in any sort of way. Absolutely. You know, gear is, gear is what allows us to make the noise, but the noise we make is about aesthetics. It's about personal workflow optimization. It's about just how do we get ourselves into those flow states with either the most or the least amount of equipment necessary to do that to express what we have inside of us. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to wanting to release that, um, you know, it's just a matter of what tools do you need to sculpt what you're making in a way that your, um, your intent can be rendered or the, the result can be rendered adequately enough that other people will, will emotionally make of it what they will. Um, you know, depending on how much you want to lead with your intent versus just letting the audience kind of, um, uh, interpret the work. Okay. Yeah. I, that makes, I, I just, I have a question. Of course there's, there's no answer. It's going to be, it's, it's one of those questions that's like, well, it all depends, but I'm just kind of curious, <laughs> just, just like a quick fire round effects. Is, is that something that you would still want to do in the box or how do you feel about like mod, like effects modules, like just simple reverbs, delays and stuff like that. Yeah. If, if, um, you know, it, <clears throat> It used to be that, um, of course, the, the traditional way to do it would be to record everything dry mm -hmm. and then um, either reamp it or at least have your effects on, on a send um, so that it, it can be independently addressed. You know, and if you have the patience for that, that gives you the most flexibility in the mix. No question. Mm -hmm. but, but for me, as a, you know, I'm also a performer and I'm also a musician. And so for me the amount and density of effects I have changes how I play. It changes how I articulate each note. Mm -hmm. And it might cause me to, you know, cut, cut the tempo of a, of a delivery in half if there's a lot of delays or there's a lot of um, repeats. And so for me, I'm 50-50. I'm it depends on the context. But I find that if I, if I don't at least hear it, if it's, you know, and quite often I will just record, I'll commit it all in one track, not separated. Um, effects change how I play. And I, I think that we're at a point, especially in your rack, where you start dealing with delays and people realize now that like, oh, modal synthesis is just a series of extremely rapid delays that results in car plus strong synthesis. So even the what constitutes um, and we have granular synthesis so what constitutes an effect versus a synthesis method 
is completely blurred now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. and you have you have modules like the herb verb from Make Noise that is actually just as good as a really weird sound source as it is as a delay. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, it's just all part of the sound design process. Um so yeah, I'm fifty fifty on that one. Sweet. Well I hope I've I hope I've thought of uh questions that our listeners are maybe thinking of as as we're we're going through this because I just I don't know the, I think a lot of these questions come up and it's it's not very often you get you get somebody who can give you like some pretty like authoritative answers so so thank you for sharing all of this with us it's uh, it's, <laughs> it's entirely valuable. my pleasure yeah. I mean nothing nothing gives me more pleasure than just you know seeing the 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 worldwide community of musicians learning from one another because you know a rising tide floats all boats and life's too short to be precious with your knowledge so i'm happy to help right on well are you uh are you feeling up to a, a patch challenge uh no but that's not going to stop you is it <laughs> <laughs> well um you're gonna use you're gonna use the buchla music easel aren't you uh, yeah, I'm going to use a, uh, a Buchla 200 series, uh, modular today. Um, okay, the main, sweet. the main voice will probably be the, the voice from the music easel, but then I've got a bunch of other, um, a bunch of other, uh, Buchla modules and, uh, secret between you, me and the wall. Um, there's <laughs> actually a, uh, a Eurorack Buchla, a, a Buchla Eurorack module carrier that I'm using as well, running an Octone. So Ooh, nice. So no, I don't mi- have mixing any, my metaphors today. I don't even I don't have any hard rules on the patch challenge. I, if somebody wanted to do it on a guitar, I'd be fine with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Well, let me see. I've got some words for you here. All right, all right. This is gonna be fun. Your adjective is burly. Okay. And your noun is motor. Ooh, burly motor. Those kind of go together, actually. Usually, they're they're so polar opposite. It's it's hilarious. But I feel like those two can kind of work together. Oh man, I kind of feel like the song has to be about a motorcycle now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gang. I want to take a few minutes here to promote some dates that are coming up uh, from some from past guests. If you remember, Cass and Crooker from. Gosh, I think it was maybe episode six or something. It was a long time ago. Uh, he has the Symbion Project and uh, Gashiki. He does. Uh, he uses the the koto, the Japanese stringed instrument, and he uses a uh, modular um, effect array to uh, to process that. It's pretty pretty sweet stuff. And so uh, his project Gashiki will be playing with Dahlia, which is Tom Butcher and uh, Cindy from patchworks and uh, it will be a quadraphonic modular synth and koto concert and that will be at the uh, the chapel at the good shepherd center in seattle thursday december 13th at 7 30 p.m so yeah go check that out all right the second date that i want to tell you guys about is november 30th it's the tacoma noise rodeo uh, daniel miller aka infidel tech will be there performing also performing will be infradead and Oh my God! I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this, Vereste. Um, yeah, I hope I I hope I got that right, Vereste. But that will be November 30th uh, at the Honey at Alma Mater Tacoma Noise Rodeo, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. I'm pretty sure one of the one of those acts that I just mentioned is Scott from Industrial Music Electronics. So uh, yeah, it should be a really, really fun show. So if you have time and you're in the Seattle or Tacoma area, go check out those two two uh, sweet shows. All right, let's check out Nathan's Patch. Thank you. 
What was your kind of your thought process going into a burly motor <laughs> well patch? As as we said before the before the piece, I was I was kind of like, ah, is this going to be about a motorcycle? And then I realized I'm too much of a nerd and not enough rock and roll for a motorcycle song. Um, so I actually started thinking about like, well, okay, it's a burly motor, it's big and it's heavy, and maybe it's old. Oh, maybe it's ancient. Oh, maybe it's connected to some gigantic lumbering beast. You know. Uh, kind of strolling through the, uh, through a desert, um, not even sure what its original purpose was. And so that's kind of where some of the ideas came from. So I started programming some of the, the rhythms and, um, uh, realized that, oh, you know, if, if one of the, if one of the percussive voices was shifted to Euclidean, it would not be so predictable and it would be a little bit kind of, um, lumbering. So that kind of felt, um, uh, felt kind of uh, thematically appropriate, and then um, in terms of the voices, um, all so the uh, the melodic voices. There's a melody and a bass line. Those are both coming from the a module called the Bukla um, uh, 208, which is the top half of a music easel, and then all the percussion is um, a Bukla 158 that it's FMing itself. So the bass kick element is basically fming the uh the higher percussive hits and then um running that of course through the infamous bukla 208 spring reverb and then just overdriving the uh the gain stage on the uh on the interface for some gnarliness yeah i liked i liked your use of overdrive in it it was uh that i feel like that was the burly the burly section <laughs> of it um it yeah it, it kind of gave me kind of almost like a um like a, an 80s horror movie soundtrack vibe or something like that kind of like the melody you used and the voicing and it's it sounded it sounded uh, nice and nice and evil in a way thinking that that reminded you of the 80s um and kind of a horror motif that kind of pegs me both demographically and age-wise <laughs> <laughs> yeah well there there's 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 something about those those uh those tones and textures of that time and that genre like you know John Carpenter he's kind he kind of has a a stronghold on a lot of us uh, on a lot of our synthesis hearts i yep, think totally <laughs> well man that was a lot of fun and I, uh, I, I hope we got to talk about enough interesting stuff. I always feel a little bit weird as the, the host. Like, I hope the guest has fun um, and, and enjoys my questions. And I know I, I was really grilling you on the mixing mastering stuff. So I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely, man. I'm, I'm, like I said earlier, I'm just really happy to share what I know with anyone who will listen. And since we're all um, kind of modular heads, you know, there's, there's, there, there are some techniques that um, definitely are, are worth talking about to let everyone's voice uh, shine as much as possible. Yeah, and you can help people's voices shine if they go to where? Obsidiansound.net? Yep, uh, obsidiansound.net is my kind of home base for uh, mixing, mix review, and mastering. And then um, my music can be found at nathanmoody.bandcamp.com. And then everything else, sound design, my background, production notes on all of my albums, uh, that's on my personal website, which is noisejockey.net. Sweet. Man, just hearing you talk, like, I just remembered, like, I, wa I want to talk about the remix album that just came <laughs> out, and, I wanna, and I'd really like to jump into your etude stuff. So I think we're going to have to have you come back um, on the show uh, sooner than later, and yeah, for for those of you listening who just got acquainted with Nathan, go go get more acquainted with him before he comes back on. <laughs> I would love that. This has been super fun. All right, I want to thank Nathan for coming on the show, and thank you all for listening. Um, go check out ObsidianSound.net if you're looking to get some stuff mastered. NathanMoody.BandCamp.com uh, to check out the Right Side of Mystery and his, uh, his Etudes series that he mentioned briefly while we were talking. And he's got a bunch of releases, and he's uh, yeah, really great stuff. Once again, thank you to all the uh, Patreon subscribers. If you would like to help out, go to Patreon.com forward slash ModularModcast. And I would like to thank... Recovery Effects, AI Synthesis, Livestock Electronics, 
Schlappy Engineering, and Earthquaker Devices. Please go check out all those amazing companies because they've got something for you. And if it isn't hardware you're after, be sure to check out Audulous. Um, I've been messing with it for the last few weeks and it's been a lot of fun. Um, right now they're running a sale, 50% off. And like I said in the intro, I will be giving away three free download codes for the iOS version um, throughout this week. So keep an eye on my Instagram. And uh, yeah, until next week.